Welcome to the sixth episode of the Ithacast. I'm Duck Sung Nguyen. And I'm Seth Murtaugh. We're here today with Lisa Nicholas, who is the Deputy Director of Planning for the City of Ithaca. And uh, Lisa, when we when we have guests on the show, we usually start out talking about um, their background and your your professional background. Um, so I thought maybe you could say a little bit about that, how you, how you came to be uh, a planner with the City of Ithaca. Okay. Um, well, like many planners, I think I came to the profession through um, just pursuing various interests and finding that they all ended up with planning. So um, I got an um, undergraduate degree in French and art history uh, from the University of Mexico, which I found wasn't terribly, terribly useful in <laughs> career, getting having a career. So, And then I went into the Peace Corps, and uh, I saw wow. a lot of things that... Um, Where'd you go? I went to uh, Togo, which is in West Africa. Wow. I saw a lot of development projects that were really... Uh, I think this really affected me and ended up with, you know pushing me into planning because I saw a lot of development projects that were unplanned. There was money with them and they built a bunch of infrastructure, but there was no capacity for it. So there were wells that were broken. There were electrical lines that were down. There were irrigation ditches that weren't working, you know, things like that. So I really think that affected me thinking about how do you make something work? And then... So you were there for two years? Is that typically two and a half years? And then, you know, when I came home, I I moved to New Mexico because I had a friend who lived there, and I just started looking at the course catalog for the things I was interested in, and they all ended up being in the School of Planning. So I got a master's degree in planning from the University of New Mexico, which was a very interesting place to work because um, the, you know, the West has a very different land use Mm -hmm. regulations and different interests, Um, worked for... um, the National Park Service there and did a heavy emphasis on design and landscape architecture and natural resource management in my studies. And then um, I got my first like real professional job out of graduate school with um, regional government in Georgia. And that was very interesting. And then I moved here to Ithaca and joined the planning department. So currently in your job with the planning department, I mean, if you, wh- what do you do? I mean, what does your average day look look like? For me personally. For you personally, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm deputy director of planning, so that means that I help manage the department. So that includes, you know, hiring and working with the budget and um, other management types of things. But I also work, you know, I think my main job responsibility really is um, I'm staffed to the planning and development board, which does all the um, re- de- review for all the development um, projects that happen in the city. So that's a lot of uh, you know, working with the board, working with developers, helping people get through the process, working with people before they start the process. It, um, really, I work with lots of different people, architects, lawyers, um, a lot of different city staff um, to coordinate development projects, usually which have a lot of um, moving pieces. That's Those are my main responsibilities. What does the planning department at the at City Hall do more broadly? Well, the planning, you know, the planning department, and you know, a- any planning really goes on the assumption that whether we want it or not, sometimes we do. There will be change, and so planning is to anticipate and manage growth and change. And you know, change can come from all kinds of um, sources. It can be internal, external. It can be market. It can be environmental, but planning is really about growth and change and how to manage it in the best way possible. So um, 
we're very lucky in Ithaca that we have a lot of change that is positive. It doesn't mean everybody thinks it's positive, but our, our change is about expansion, not about contraction, which is good. So we manage growth and change. And how do we do that? We do, we use, we have a variety of ways that we do that. I mean, one of them is long range planning, which is, you know, like the comprehensive plan and the, you know, the area plans, the parks master plan. And that really is about looking at what we have. So p- taking an inventory, uh, looking at what we need or what we think we need to, and then, um, looking at what people, the public thinks we need, and then really coming up with goals and strategies to achieve those, those things. So finding out what we have, what we need, and trying to figure out, um, how we can accommodate those needs in a way that is as acceptable as possible to everybody. So that's long range planning. We do that. We do, and you know, once you have a plan, you need some tools to implement the plan. And we do zoning, a lot of zoning, um, development of zoning, um, and also changes to the zoning ordinance. Um, we also do other kinds of things that will help implement the plan, like develop design guidelines, which will tell developers how more how their building will buildings should look, give them more guidance on that. Um, and as I said, we you know my job part, part of my job is um, helping to coordinate the development review process that. Um, that is with the planning and development board. Um, but we also have, um, the board of zoning appeals out of the planning department and, um, the ILPC, which is the historic preservation board. Um, and, you know, we also work on, so we do those things and we also work on, you know, a variety of problems. Sometimes, you know, that's partially what planners do. There's a problem, say, It can be a very big problem or a little problem, like it can be chickens, okay? People want to have chickens in their backyard. That appears to be a little problem, but um, sometimes the solutions come. The the size of the problem really has no relationship to how long it takes to solve. Right. The chicken ordinance (laughs) took a while. That's a little problem. So you come to planners, will be like, okay, chicken ordinance. People want to have planners. What are the, people want to have chickens? What are the potential problems with that or issues that that might cause and how do we craft some kind of legislation that would allow that while protecting other people um and then there's a big problems like affordable housing and so planners might look at that our department is involved with looking at you know okay so how what's you know looking at maybe what the causes are what our inventory of affordable housing is how it works how do we what are some ways we can get people to build more affordable housing what are the barriers to that and trying to develop sometimes there it's legislation for you know the common council to consider and sometimes there are other tools you can use that don't have to be laws that can help encourage people to solve a problem so yeah can we so that's a ton that the department does is that, is and that, yeah. i thought that was <laughs> an excellent summary, <laughs> yeah, I mean, excellent summary. <laughs> and it doesn't even talk about the like the building code enforcement and stuff right, right. But, but let's go <laughs> yeah, let's go right. way back yes. and and get to the basics in case people don't even yes. know yeah what is zoning? Zoning. Uh, so yeah. what's the difference between like Euclidean zoning okay. and form-based zoning, other types of zoning? Okay. So zoning is um, a local regulation to develop, to um, regulate where things are and what uses can be where. So um, zoning is based on this idea that people have property rights. And everybody has property rights for the property that they own. However, your property rights don't—you don't have unlimited property rights. So the government is allowed to regulate partially what you do on your property because it is in the common interest to do so. So zoning is about land use and you know where buildings go, what uses go where, and. 
and you know some to some degree like how big buildings can be and how far they have to be set back so you mentioned ducks and euclidean zoning which is the original zoning you know it was the original zoning that happened and it was really based on and came out of a desire to separate uses that were harmful to people mm-hmm. so you know, you think of like all these people moved in. So think of like New York City, all in the turn of the century. All these people moved in. There were people living everywhere. There were maybe you know industrial uses next mm-hmm. to residential uses. There were, um, you know, there wasn't enough green space. All the buildings were crammed close together. And among you know, the, I don't know what the building code was like then, but among other things, like there wasn't it wasn't a healthy environment. So right. zoning started to try to make a healthier environment for people. And that really was the beginning was about really separating uses. Mm-hmm. Industrial goes over here, residential goes over here, commercial goes over there. And you can you can kind of see that in the, the remnants of that in the city. Yes. Because the industrial uses are largely on the waterfront. That's right, right. Um, and the residential yeah. obviously is like in the neighborhoods. So you can see that there's that separation. You can there. see that. And, you know, obviously we have pockets of um, commercial within residential and, you know, Euclidean zoning was really about, again, separating the uses, keeping everybody separate so that people were healthier and happier, had access to light and air, um, and also regulating, like, how big a building could be. It can be, you know, 20 feet tall. It has to be set back 30 feet from the property line. It has to be 10 feet on each side. Um, all those kinds of backyard has to be this feet. So there's a, this, there's a real feeling of like, it's about that Euclidean zoning is really about separation. And that worked out fine for a while, but then we got to be bigger and more and, you know, people feel like Euclidean type zoning also separate the separation of uses isn't quite so positive in an urban environment anymore. So now, you know, there's been many trends in zoning, but one is moving to more of like a, you know, the one people are most familiar with now is a form-based zoning, which is really encourages mixed use. So mixing uses, but keeping in mind what uses are compatible. You don't have to have, you can have residential and commercial. Um, you might not want residential and heavy industrial or something, but it's like looking more at like how the space in buildings interact with each other and how, um, and how they look too. So mm-hmm. it's more, um, mixing up the uses so that people don't have to, uh, so people can do more of their daily life in, um, in their neighborhood, for instance, or within walking distance or combining uses and looking more at the forms of the buildings, including, um, things like front porches or looking at the pitch of the roof. These are all things that form base zoning. Um, really looks at. Now, we in the city have, as we rewrite our zoning code every time we do a plan, we're really moving to more of a hybrid zoning. We keep, like the college town area form districts, is really a hybrid between Euclidean and form-based. Mm-hmm. It has all the area, you have to be this far back, you know, you have right. to do this. But then it also has a lot of design issues. Right, like it regulates too. the form of porches and the front how, facades. Yes, how big, room. how long can the front facade be? How, you know, how, before, you, yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. What do, what do you think really <laughs> accounts for that shift from, um, you know, the Euclidean to the form-based approach? Is it, is it the economy? I mean, because you look at – I mean, the economy has really changed, right? I mean, you, you know, the, you don't have the same scale of industrial activity, for instance, in, in the city that you once did, right, with um, these factories closing down. And I think that, that seems like it could have a lot to do with that, right? I, these, yeah. 
I mean, one example obviously is is um, the former Emerson site That's in right. I know that, that needed to really, be separate from everything. Right, it needs right. to be separate. Right. But now it's like people are are the developers talking about basically turning that into like a mixed use neighborhood right. almost. That's right. I think zoning, like any field, whatever, it responds to the desires of the people at the moment. And um, so it keeps developing their new branches. There'll be something after form-based zoning, you know, or an evolution of it. I think that that urban living is now something that people are interested in and they want to be close to different things. So Mm -hmm. that means you have to kind of mix things up. And we find that, like, as a planning idea – Mixed use is much more efficient. It brings in more taxes. It makes people happy if you want to live that way. Um, so zoning is relatively new in terms in the you know grand scheme of it society. Is, yes. And so is part of it though some recognition that zoning itself was, if not a mistake, but like taken too far. So when things were chaotic and you did you know, whatever you wanted, what we got were these tightly packed houses. Um, mixed in with commercial uses. And uh, I think this is all the stuff that Jane Jacobs likes to talk about as positives. And so somehow... We took away... We went the other direction. I don't know how it it naturally evolved, maybe because of all the things that she says. Like, it just makes sense. We took something that naturally evolved and then decided, you know what? We don't want that. We want the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, to what extent was it that the current trends are a correction to, you know, the historical mistakes? I think that that's a good point. And yeah, Euclidean's, I mean, and don't forget, like zoning is not in many, it's not required to have zoning. Many places don't have zoning. It's a tool that governments can use. So I mean, a lot of rural areas don't have don't have zoning. I mean, you know, Houston is famous for I don't know. And then then everything just sprawls, right? Yes. When you don't have zoning. There's a tension there. But I think even, you know, those of us who like the way the way the city of Ithaca evolved, I don't think anyone would say, let's get rid of zoning because times have changed. And yeah. You would you do want to maintain some character. Yeah. What we have. Euclidean zoning definitely has that gets blamed. A lot of bad things came out of that too, but you know, there's, we still use it. You know, it has to evolve like anything to what. I mean, it does seem like it could potentially be kind of exclusionary and used to keep certain groups out of certain areas. And um, I think that's, was definitely true with the development of the suburbs and you yes. know zoning that was designed to protect you know right. single family homes right. at the expense of denser housing. Yep, that's and, right. And, the rest, yeah. so. and related to that, what can you say about the history of of so called you know I say this in quotes urban renewal that effort in the sixties? Everyone can see around town that we are increasing our density, but that density is actually not that new in terms of we had density historically that's a lot right. of which yes. disappeared during that's this right. urban renewal phase. So what can you say about that? Well, I mean, I think that's true. Like that, the great example of that is, um, you know, a lot of things were destroyed during urban renewal. And I'm not really, I'm not an expert on that. But you know, a lot of things, a lot of historic buildings were lost, it was this desire to be new and to, you know, get rid of old decrepit buildings. And we lost a lot during that. We lost entire blocks. And um, like the project now that is called City Center, if people know it by that, it's the big um, project that's right across from CSMA and um, the Marriott Hotel. You know, that was a densely filled block in the right. 1960s before it was um, raised and then had a one-story building on it. So really, mm-hmm. bring that project forward is really kind of... A restoration. Almost. It kind of is, right. yeah, of the dense. Although that's not how people think about it. <laughs> that isn't <laughs> that how people think, think about it. it. I mean, it the buildings, wasn't, the buildings <laughs> right. weren't that tall. But, um, but you're right. I mean, when you look downtown, there's a lot of places where, um, 
buildings were torn down and parking lots were put in, which just blows my mind. I yes. mean, there was a beautiful old library um, on, on Bank Alley, the corner of Seneca and Tioga, the Ezra Cornell Library, because we talked about this when Brian yes. McCracken yes. was on, our historic preservation planner, and it was torn down. And there's a parking lot there now. Right, I know. Um, which I is know. amazing, because today, like, we would never do anything like that. I mean, if, if anything, um, what we focus on today is where to put the people, not where to put the cars, although that it. Parking is always a perennial concern. It is. But. It is amazing how much you talk about parking in yeah. my profession and many professions. Um, but that what, was kind of a blip. You know, the, I guess it was the rise of the car and the rise of the suburbs, and it was a response to that. I guess uh, to make all these accommodations for cars. Because, that's right. That's exactly right. Downtowns yeah. were dying, and that's so, right. so, so the city compete. was trying to figure out, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. how to compete with the suburbs. How do you compete with the, shopping the, malls? The malls and yeah, exactly. So you create a pedestrian mall, and you tear down some old decrepit buildings, right. and you put right. in some parking lots <laughs> to try to get those cars to come downtown. That's right. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I really see like uh, we talk about people living car free or car less or less car, however, you know, and, but I really see that we've talked about this for a long time, but I really see developers now really taking this. It used to be unthinkable that they wouldn't build parking. They just Mm -hmm. didn't think they could do it. Mm -hmm. And now certainly any student housing, there's no parking. They were very happy to have the parking, um, parking requirements removed from college town. And you know, the downtown developers too, we have about 300 units of development going, of, of housing going in units of development. Listen to me. I sound like a planner. We have about 300 new apartments going in, um, downtown and, you know, there, I'm not going to say there's no concern about parking, but these developers built this went without much parking. And so there's really, they're really starting to feel like this trend is showing in the market too. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense because, you know, famously you read about uh, younger folks not getting their driver's licenses as quickly, right, yeah. using public transit more, using uh, ride hailing like Uber yeah. Lyft. More. Right, that's really revolutionary. It's amazing things. though, that even despite all that, we still spend a lot of time talking about parking uh-huh. and like whether we have enough parking or whether we have too much parking capacity or like, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, um, it's still a, a, a big issue. And I think planning for the future, especially with everything that's going on downtown and making sure that we have enough parking capacity to meet. meet that's the right. Demand. And I think that one of the things that I feel like I, Ithaca is there's that's tension in Ithaca is we're a little city who really has big city ideas. Mm-hmm. And so, um, bec- and that's because of the people who live here and their interests, but we are a little city. Mm-hmm. And so we pull from five counties for employment. Right. There isn't the public transport. I mean, many people come into s- the city to work and they have to drive. Right. So as much as we want no parking, we have to come, you know, if you were just talking about the people who live in Ithaca, that would be one thing, but we have to serve all these other people who yeah, come right. in for if, for work, and that creates this tension. You know, mm-hmm. it's just not feasible for someone from, you know, sure. I don't know. But as someone who sits on the TCAT board, we are trying to find creative ways to accommodate even them. Yes. And so uh, now there's more. We have limited resources. And I know people are perennially frustrated with the amount of service that TCAT provides. But I will say that it's good, for, for a county this size, it it reaches surprisingly far compared to our other peer uh, transit services. I but agree. people are talking about, you know, how can we set up some parking rides so that even that's right commuters from outside the county don't have to actually drive into the city. Yeah. Uh, and that benefits everybody. Right. It benefits 
you know, the person who would otherwise have to pay for parking, they could park for free at a park and ride. It benefits people who absolutely have to enter the city in a car because it reduces traffic. And it benefits TCAT itself, who is dealing with congestion on a much larger scale. That's right. We actually, we had a pretty interesting discussion about this last night at council. Um, we were talking about like the, the willingness of, of the city to subsidize the parking mm-hmm. like with property taxes mm-hmm. right? above and beyond what is right. paid for through the parking rates. Um, and it was interesting just to, to listen to the, the different individuals who had like kind of different opinion, opinions on it. Like I've, I've, I don't typically use the garages in the city. No, because like I live, I I live downtown and I walk to work and, and I mean, it has crossed my mind that I'm paying like a huge amount of property taxes on my house to sustain this, this structure that's mainly being used by people who are driving in from outside. So the question is, you know, how comfortable is somebody like me and and yourself, all of us actually, you know, uh, somebody, city residents who, who pay taxes, how comfortable are we? having those taxes go to support a parking, the parking garage. garage that supports people who are driving into the city. And it was interesting to hear the debate because I mean, council was kind of split on it. I mean, and some mm-hmm. people were like, Absolutely. yeah, you know, I'd be comfortable doing it because there's a value for downtown. I mean, it supports the businesses downtown. They definitely need people to shop in those stores and restaurants. Um, and a lot of their customers come from outside the city. But on the other side, you know, I think there is a sense it's like, wait, you know, I'm, why should I be penalized if I'm riding my bike through the rain to get to work? <laughs> like, why should I be paying to support people who are driving in from? Yeah. And that is, that is very true. And I can imagine feeling like that. But, you know, we have to think about also the, you know, like Tompkins Financial, they, they just built their headquarters downtown. Right. They right. could have built they it up in Lansing, Lansing where there was That's plenty every, of parking. Everybody says, you know, but Herald it's true. Square has, a huge amount of office space that they need to rent. Right. Yeah. There I mean, it would be great if all the people that worked there lived downtown. So the, so it is being shared by those businesses that choose to lo- the tax That's burden, a good point. that live that are locating downtown rather than someplace else where there's plenty of parking and they do have some needs. Yeah. That's, um, that's a very good point. And the hotels subsidize it. And the hotels too. subsidize it. I mean, I mean again, this is this is tension I think of like we're really a small city. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have unlimited um, options for what we can right. provide. We have less provide. scale. I mean, have, right. right. I'm sometimes tempted to make parking completely private, that if there's a demand for parking, the private sector will meet that demand with private parking. Yeah. But because the scale is so difficult, um, it's kind of unlikely to see what you see in, in larger cities. And so even I, who is not a fan of, of parking right. of any kind, of government subsidizing parking, have to acknowledge that there is a public good in in some parking. Yeah. So yeah. kind of along along those lines, what do you, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing the city at the moment from from like a planning perspective? I mean, obviously we've just been talking about one of them, parking. Um, what are, what are some others, Steve? Well, affordable afford the affordability of the city and affordable housing. I mean, that's really. I mean, it's not just us, mm-hmm. you know, the market, it's a nationwide, problem. It's a nationwide yeah. problem and the market is nationwide. And I understand even internationally has boomed for student housing. And mm-hmm. we have, or again, we're a small city with a, you know, a gigantic educational sector section. Right. So sector. So we have tons of students and they will pay a lot for housing. And so that has really driven land prices up mm-hmm. and made it really challenging to, be able to make the numbers work for affordable housing. And we're, we're lucky to have um, some local agencies like INHS who can put together, you know, funding packages to make it work, but we need more. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's mean, a huge, that's a huge problem. I was thinking about that with, you know, you just mentioned Tompkins Trust, which I agree, like, you know, them locating downtown is huge for the city. Um, and I was talking to, um, some of their employees probably around my age, probably in their thirties. And it was like, so do you, you ever thought about living downtown? And they're just like, no, it's just too expensive. Too so expensive, I mean, that's part right, of the problem right. is that, you know, they're driving into the city, but if they could afford to live in the city, well, then maybe they wouldn't have yeah. to drive. Yeah. They'd love they to, want to solve that car right. problem. So, I mean, that they're tied together. The transportation and the housing issues are, are tied are, together. Are, That's right. That's right. And, you know, there is certainly the argument, and we probably, all, as all being downtown residents, understand the economy of paying a little more for your housing and yeah. less for transportation. But, right. But, um, you know, not everybody sees that calculus or even right. can can live by that. But so I think affordability is a challenge that we're, you know, we're really trying to figure this out. And we just passed the um, tax abatement program that will include affordable house and um, requirement to build affordable housing. We'll see how that, how that goes. goes next we'll see week. how that goes. We yeah. don't know, you know, yeah. if that's going to be doable for developers, but we'll see. Right. And I think, you know, so there's that. And then there's, you know, one of the things we talked about in the comprehensive plan was um, even though Tompkins County has been growing the population, the city really, its growth is very slow. So, and part of it is because we don't have enough housing. So we're building more housing and that should solve that. But we, you know, we really would like to attract more people to live in the city um, because we serve all these people from outside the city anyways. So mm -hmm. we think it would be, you know, definitely make the city more vibrant. Um patronize all the businesses work and live in the same place so you know that's a challenge to grow the population of the city too you know for the people who want to live here it does seem that there's like i'm and this has been the case for the whole time i've been on council like there is a lot of anxiety about that growth yes and making is, sure yeah. that it's done appropriately mm -hmm. and and the scale at which you're growing and um i remember eric rosario who preceded me on common council had this expression he called it density and its discontents mm -hmm. you know as you densify you know the this is just good for the tax base. And it is what you said before is totally true. We're lucky to be growing and not we are, contracting. Yeah, yeah. But there are other issues that arise with that. That's right. There's always mm -hmm. going to be an, an, an impact. And the impact comes in the form of, of quality of life issues and traffic and noise and what have you. And, um, and I think that's what makes developing in Ithaca challenging sometimes. And I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I know I'm like, preaching to the choir no, with you you're not like, preaching. You, know, you know about this way more than i do <laughs> yeah. but, um you know it's like people when uh, you know when when there are development projects uh, people get upset it's and hard and yeah it, it can be challenging it is hard yeah what are some ways that um we can we can mitigate um those impacts i mean are there are there ways that we can kind of um, I mean I guess planning is one way and coming up with a, a plan a like plan. A comprehensive plan you know yeah we have planning sort of with public input. That doesn't mean everybody is happy, but to the extent possible, you know, you know, you heard what people said and we directed the growth to one particular area. Mm -hmm. Now we're not in control of how many people are interested in developing at any particular time. Yeah, right. You know, I mean that, that surprises me every day, how many people are interested in coming here and, and doing projects. So we're yeah. not really in control of that. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that just keeping people, what I hear over and over again is keeping people informed, right. you know, of what, what is going on and why and how long it's going to last and what the impact is to them and how they could potentially have um, options for dealing with that impact. Mm -hmm. 
I believe very strongly, anyone who knows me knows that I feel this way, but I believe very strongly that municipalities, in the absence of billions of dollars, which we don't have, our most powerful tool for creating affordable housing or affordability is zoning. Mm. So it doesn't cost anything to change zoning. But what it does is encourage the development of more housing. Um, and we could do it tastefully. Like you just said, we concentrate the densest development in certain parts of the, of the city. Mm. Um, I personally feel like we can do more even in the more residential areas mm. to encourage row home or townhouse development, yeah. mm-hmm. which adds density without significantly impacting character, in my humble opinion. Because we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars of, That's right. of federal aid yeah. to build social housing. So for me, it's always been two-pronged. I feel like we have a lack of the other prong, the government-provided housing. Um, and so we're doing the best we can, I think, with the market rate housing. I know it's insufficient, but we're seeing in Seattle where there's a glut and um, it's hmm. bringing rentals down. And so I'm encouraged by some of that evidence. Yes, it's always, you know, that's one of the things that is often said, well, if there's more housing, that'll bring the rents down. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really experienced that. We're not there yet. We're not, we don't have empirical evidence of that yet, but but we hope, you know, that that's the, the way it will go, you know, that as more well, students... Well, I do think that Steph and I have both heard from various landlords yes. concerned that their rents are softening. I've heard, I've heard that too. I've heard that too, yeah. yeah. Um, and that should, I mean, that's what sort of should happen. But people, of course, you know, if it's your rent that is going down, it, you, it's not going to make you happy. I mean, I think part of the, the concern right now is that we're, we're adding, it seems like we're adding a lot of housing, I'd say, is more at the higher end of the income. Well, I mean, Duck always makes this point that we don't actually have luxury housing. In the city, luxury housing understood is like some, you know, you have like a doorman and like, a, you know, like that kind of thing. Like they have Marble city. countertops. Yeah. But like the housing that we're adding is for it's people higher that are, end, yeah, yeah, it's higher end. It's like, you know, you're 1600 to $1,800 for a one bedroom, which there's only so many people in this community that can afford to pay. That's that. right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of students, I think, who can afford to pay that because they have, they come from wealthy backgrounds, but. Especially as you develop downtown and farther and farther away from the the uh, institutions of higher education, there's not a lot of people that are going to be able to afford Pay those, that. That's r- right. those rents. And I think what we're missing is the middle, the middle, the middle. The middle. That's what we say. Yeah, yeah the middle. Yeah. So it's finding the middle. the missing middle. It's finding the so that's for you know the average person, working person, um, and that really is it's finding the combination of the right site the right land price mm-hmm. and then trying to build a building that um, you can afford to build for that w- within those parameters. We don't have a lot of property in Ithaca. It, we're built out. So if you're looking at, you know, finding a property that can be redeveloped or, you know, because there's not a lot of land, it can be expensive. So mm-hmm. it is the missing middle is um, we talk about that a lot. That is, you know, and we don't know what will happen with, you know, Cornell has this, this North Campus residential initiative, which you've heard about, and they're going to be building all, they're going to be housing all of their freshmen and sophomores on campus. And that might create an, some kind of opening for, you know. That's right. I mean, so that has what might be positive and negative effects. One yeah. is like, it takes pressure off the housing market. On the flip side, we get no tax revenue that's true. for mm-hmm. those residents. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. And for the missing middle, that's, again, why I plug row homes and townhouses. That's right. Where it's a 
wave to get we hear all the time about how there's not enough owner occupied housing options right. and people want to buy and have equity and see appreciation and so there's only so many single family homes uh, and we're sitting in one right now mm-hmm. um that I had to outbid multiple bidders on so right. I contributed to yeah. this problem too but if you were if this block had you know row homes all along it there'd be a lot more units that would cost less and and be potentially more affordable to the middle income person yeah yeah there is a real lack of like new for sale housing in the city. That's something you hear all the time. That is something you hear all the time. Yeah. First time home buyers. And, um, and we don't, I mean, aside from INHS and Habitat for Humanity and a few condo developers, we, we don't really have anyone who's building for sale. There, it's more than you probably think here and there, you know, over the past eight or nine years, there's probably been 50 homes built, you know, oh, it's here and there, you know, there's yeah. little lots here and there. Do you and think, it's, much in, of do you it think is it's increasing? NHS. No, I mean, because it's just no, but you know, we're getting to the end of that. There's a lot of property like on West Hill, there's been several homes built up there, several in Bell Sherman, um, even a couple down in Fall Creek, there's a couple double lots, but yeah, it's not, we can't, we are never going to expand the housing the way people want. And the what we need by, by just only occupied by building new single family homes. It needs to be like townhomes. Townhomes. But, you know, I think when, when it is apparent to developers that that is something that they can sell, they will build it. They don't, must not believe that. I mean, even mm-hmm. INHS with their beautiful townhomes, those did not go as fast sure. as they mm-hmm. thought they would. I mean, they're great and they're affordable and, you know, I mean, they, they have sold, but not, so I wonder if, um, the rental went faster. The rental went faster. I wonder if there still needs to be, you know, we're still changing and we're mm-hmm. growing into that. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, there was this assumption that home ownership was always better. And I have to say, mm. as someone who owned a home through the 2008 financial crisis, that that is not always true. And that I think the the stigma with renting is starting to disappear because a, the market is unpredictable, and B, there are tangible benefits to renting, which is that's right, not having maintenance, not dealing with the fickle market. You know that that risk is is pushed onto someone else, and that has you know that has value. Yeah, I think you see that too with you know people who are retiring and they sell their their house and they want to move downtown and they they might be more comfortable renting an apartment. Renting, then yeah, they don't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hope we don't lose people with this, but let's get back to some nuts and bolts <laughs> about planning. So people okay. make this assumption that Common Council has all this control over development. And actually, mm-hmm. we're not, except for one special case that we'll get to later, yep. we're not involved in approving developments. Uh, there are a couple boards that you might have to go through. We certainly go through the Planning and Development Board, which is distinct from the Planning and Economic Development Committee yes, it is. that Seth <laughs> chairs. Um, so you go through the planning development board, and then if you need to go outside of the rules of zoning, you go to the the board of zoning appeals. So can can you talk a, a little bit about the process that a developer goes through to get a project approved? Sure. And I want to just say that before a developer can get a project approved, or before anybody can develop anything, you know, it's the comprehensive plan, which has a lot of um, public input. And the zoning, which also has public input, that decides how big things can be and where they go. And that all has public input. Once that's been decided, which that can always change too, but once there's zoning in place, which is a big public process, people have rights to develop in certain ways. 
but we don't let them maybe exercise all of their rights. They have to go through a development um, review process. So maybe the zoning says you can have 10 stories and 110 feet and it can be, you know, but you have to go through the planning board, which will look at, okay, what do you want to build? What are the environmental impacts of that? And environmental includes like, you know, traffic and drainage and, um, you know, uh, what's the, the stress on the system and also includes things like, you know, the aesthetic, how will it look? How will it fit into the neighborhood? Is it compatible? Um, the planning and development board, um, takes, uh, a development project through the site plan review process, which looks at all of these factors and, um, you know, kind of adds an extra layer of, um, review on what a development looks like, how it will fit into the community, who it will serve. If a property has is zoned in a particular way, the Planning and Development Board can't say, no, you can't do anything on that property. Mm-hmm. You, or And they also can't say, you have to do for sale housing. You can't, it can't be a rental, or you can't mm-hmm. rent to students, or you can't, um, it's all a negotiation to get. So what they're trying to do is to get the best project they can within what is legally allowable. Right. Common Council at that point doesn't have any involvement because those decisions have already been made. Right. We so. set up the parameters. <laughs> no, we right. set up the rules right. that the planning board lives by. And that includes yeah. the semi-newly passed yeah. design guidelines. That's right. So the design guidelines, which we have now for downtown and college town, also give guidance to developers and give the city more control over what buildings look like and how they function. Um, but, you know, there's many things that are really negotiations um, between the developer and the planning board. And the planning board can ask for a lot and the developer can offer, you know, it's a negotiation. So we never know exactly where you're going to land. But really their goal is to get the best project possible for um, what um, is, you know, what is legally allowable. And, um, you know, I've seen projects... I've been doing this for 13 years now on the planning board and I've seen projects come in one way and change a lot mm-hmm. and for the better. Um, I feel always for the better. And that's is that, is just, that helpful? Absolutely. Yeah. And just so that people know, even the city itself has to go through its own process. That's as we, right. Yeah. So we just approved some money for the Brindley Street Bridge Project. Which had to go through site planning. That had to go through site planning yeah. review. And part of the reason why they were asking for more money, DPW was asking for more money, is because the Planning Development Board requested enhancements to the project. To that's make right. It more attractive. Because, right. the, you know. And that's the city, like, putting that burden on itself. So, yes. <laughs> that's right. So no one's exempt no from one's this No one's exempt. Right. Exempt. Exactly. <laughs> and so sometimes, though, I mean, you mentioned the Board of zoning appeals sometimes a developer or a project wants to develop a project but they don't they can't for some reason they either they don't want to or they have some um, obstacle they can't comply a hundred percent with zoning so a really simple example is a lot of the houses maybe in your neighborhood are don't comply with zoning because they were built a long time ago before the zoning existed. So then you want to um, put in some you want to put an addition on and expand your house or whatever. Well, you're not going to come. You have to go to the Board of Zoning Appeals to um, to get a relief from the existing front yard, side yard deficiency, whatever you have. So, but so that's a simple example. But sometimes a project will want a little more height or they can't comply with the height because they have to get out of the flood zone. So they need to be a foot taller or they want to do something 
that improves the project, but it doesn't 100% comply with zoning. So they go to the Board of Zoning Appeals and ask for what's called relief from the zoning ordinance. And they and the Board of Zoning Appeals looks at that as like, their basic job is they look at what, how big is the is the relief that the applicant is looking for? And how big is the impact on the neighbors to what they're asking for? So they have to weigh that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in certain circumstances, they have to go through another board called the Ithaca Landmarks Preservation right. Commission. If they're in a historic district. If they're in a historic district, um, all buildings in historic district have to be deemed compatible with that district. Um, and they have to go through the ILPC who looks at, you know, down to a very detailed level of, you know, materials massing to make sure that buildings don't have to look historic. They don't have to, um, be replicas of historic buildings. In fact, um, we don't really want that, but they have to be of similar quality and compatible in massing and scale to historic buildings, right? So there's a lot. We put people, you know, people I often hear or written that, you know, wow, that project happened so fast, you know, it got pushed through the process and it got approved and that isn't even possible to happen. It We, we really ask a lot of people and uh, we are legally allowed to do so but we do ask a lot of people and they um of people who want to do projects and they have to go through a pretty rigorous process very rigorous process how how does it work with um again this is something that council doesn't really have any purview over but the like granting of a variance so a project comes in and it's reviewed by the planning board and the planning board determines whether the vari- a variance would be appropriate. Do they make a recommendation? So then? the planning board is advisory to the Board of Zoning Appeals. So they look at a variance and make a recommendation to the BZA on the basis of um, how does this fit into a long-term plan? Does it have any impact on planning and um, how we, you know, our vision for this neighborhood or our vision for, um, so they look at it from a planning perspective, not so much from how does this impact the neighbor right across the street or does it fit into the city's long-term goals exactly. with the comprehensive exactly. plan? And, yeah. Right, yeah. So having said all that, I just said, you know, usually common council has no say other than setting up the rules again, via zoning or design guidelines or other laws. We don't really have much input except there is one mechanism and it's called a plan unit development. Uh, tell us about how that works. So a planned unit development PUD, as we call it, um, is this um, is a is a tool that allows a person who wants to do a project, a developer, to not comply with the underlying zoning of their project site. So they have a project site and has a particular kind of zoning, and they want to do something that doesn't comply with the zoning strictly. Like it can be use or it can be size. Usually, it's size and density, and um, they can do something called a plan unit development, and that is where they get to basically write their own zoning for the site, but it has to have a pretty compelling public benefit. Mm -hmm. So in this case, when, when somebody wants to do this and we have, um, we've had a couple PUD projects and we have one now with chain, with the chain works project, which is the old Morse chain, um, facility, uh, when when you do this, the Common Council is very directly involved with that because they really make the determination of is this good enough? Is does is there an, basically the determination they're making is is there enough public benefit to allow them to go beyond 
to do something other than what the underlying zoning is. That's really the decision Common Council has to make. And then after that, once they make that decision in concept, then um, a developer will make the will do the zoning, and then Common Council will have to actually adopt the zoning if they agree with it. Um, like any other zoning ordinance, it becomes part of the code, and so the zoning on that property. The PUD on that property that was developed becomes part of our zoning code, and those are the regulations that the developer has to um, work within when they do their project. So some kinds of public benefits that could happen would be, like, say they want more height, but they're willing to do um, affordable housing. Say they are bringing a, you know, they want to add a lot of commercial and they already have a tenant that would really help. Um, say they are going to bring something into a neighborhood that we really want. They're going to bring, maybe they'll build extra parking or they'll build a park or something. Um, it really is about the, the benefit. Like why, you know, it has to be enough of a benefit to make the common council even consider whether or not to allow a developer to um, write their own zoning. Yeah. People might mistakenly think it's like a giveaway, but it is a gigantic no. risk going through the 10 of us, you know, and exactly who can, you know, they can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars coming up with a plan that we decide just to shoot down in one night. Mm-hmm. Right. So they have to all upfront, they have to develop um, the zoning, which in order to understand what the zoning is, they have to develop basically a site plan showing mm-hmm. council what it's going to look like. What does it mean to have these zoning regulations? What does it mean to have 40 feet or 100 feet? How's it going to look? And usually a PUD will also have a lot of design guidelines with it, you know, how exactly how the building's going to look. So, right, it's it's a very risky thing for a developer to do, and they, they um, it's pretty, it's a very rigorous process. Yeah. And I think too, for, at least from my perspective, it's impossible for us to anticipate every possible use of land. And so what it allows is creativity. And if so like decades from now, someone has like something truly unique that we never anticipated, it would be unfortunate to be constrained to really old rules. Um, when there's someone who has, is a visionary and comes up with, that's right. That's right. It really allows for creativity. Yeah. And there, you know, there's a lot of anxiety about, about this. There is. um, Yeah. Just because I think people, I think general, it's like, like what I was saying before, the density and its discontents, the, the just concern over growth. And, um, I think a lot of people have this feeling that, that like Duck said, it's kind of like an end run around the zoning. But what I try to tell people is that it's, it's actually an additional level of review. It's additional level of it's review. It still has to go to the planning board. Right. I mean, what we're talking about is actually getting a vote of common council. And in that case, you have the opportunity to contact your elected officials and, and lobby them to That's right. either to support the project or not right. support the project. And in, in my short time of reviewing these, I think it's been pretty successful because it does allow, I mean, the one I think about is, is McGuire, um, which ultimately was rejected by council, but you know, there was a real opportunity, I think, for the community to weigh in. That's and right. Let its, let its concerns be heard. Right. Um, and they did. And they did. And I think that, um, I think there's a value to that. And, and so, you know, it's. They don't normally have that they level. Don't, yeah, of, they right, don't usually right. have that opportunity to, and council doesn't. So and council, council doesn't, doesn't really have that's the opportunity right. to weigh in at that level. It's not an end run around the zoning because it's developing a new zoning ordinance, which has all the requirements of public participation as an as the as any zoning and there's no obligation by council to accept it right if you don't get what you want or right. what you know
Yeah. I mean, the common council has is in a difficult position because you still have to weigh what people want with what right. the city needs, and it's a you know, and what the benefit is, what we get, what we give. Um, but it is in no way an end run. Um, it it's a rigorous process. So what's this put overlay district that Seth and I just approved recently? <laughs> So um, the idea of having uh, planned unit development um, has been around for a really long time, but people do are nervous about it because they, they're, they're nervous about um, what might happen if you just take away the zoning. And so it was originally when the city passed it, it was restricted only to industrially zoned properties. And at that point, there were like, you know, it was very limited what was industrially zoned. It was Emerson, Cherry Street, and um, Carpenter Business Park was industrially zoned. At that point, the PUD was first adopted, um, when was it, 2012 maybe? 2012, yeah, I think it was 2012, yeah, yeah. 2012. So, um, Just for the industrial zones. Just for the industrial zones as a way to sort of test this out. Does this seem like something that people want to do? It was an easy way to test out. You limit it, you limit PUD to a particular you know, areas. So since then, um, actually, the waterfront has been rezoned. And we only have one industrially zoned property anymore, which is Emerson, which is in the process of a PUD. So we don't even have any place you can do a PUD anymore. So there was an interest in expanding that to other parts of the city to see what would happen. Um, and if people would um, be interested, especially I think maybe in the waterfront and college town, if people where land, you know, is being assembled if people would have interest in doing this kind of thing. So you just passed that. So it opened it up to other areas. It wasn't all areas because you went through a whole public process to see what people felt comfortable with. And I'm sure made lots of compromises about where it was to be. It kind of seems that there's an incremental introduction of this. That's right. Concepts to the community. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like we've limited it to industrial areas and now we're kind of trying it out in the in <laughs> urbanized other, areas. In other areas. And the, well, it was like, if I remember correctly, it was industrial and then staff had a proposal for allowing the whole city to, to potentially go under a That wasn't. And then yeah. the planning uh, and economic development committee that staff chairs then ratcheted it back. Um, well, and actually, originally there was a proposal for the whole city, and it got ratcheted back to the industrial zones. Yeah, so that's I think right. there's always so it's like <laughs> it's very <laughs> incremental, and we'll see. You know, if it if it works well and people get used to this idea and they see some really big benefit from it, maybe it would be applied to the whole city. I mean, right. again, there has to be a big benefit. It's Definitely. not like, and and I understand people's concern. I mean, I was just, I actually was just arguing with somebody about it early <laughs> this afternoon. A second word constituent who will remain nameless, um, who was like this pod dang, and I was, it was like the city's never seen a development it doesn't like, and this mm. and again, I was just saying like mm-hmm. it's not, it's an additional level of, of review. review. It was like you have the opportunity to come to common council and call me. That's right. You're that's sitting right. here right now telling me that you hate this thing. That mm-hmm. I that's going to you're going to that could influence right. the way that's that right. I see. You have a lot. It. There's a lot of ability to shape it. There's that's a lot right. of ability to shape it. That's right. I mean, the, you know, a person doing a pud or developer comes in with a proposal, and then you start working on it till you get what is acceptable. So yeah. All right, let's talk about the ultimate PUD. Now okay. that we're on PUDs. All right, you want to talk chain about works. Chainworks. Yeah. Enormous project. <laughs> it's an enormous project. It's a has the potential to truly transform something that's been unused for decades. Yes. 
What do you want to know? <laughs> how, many, how many acres? How many acres? It's like 90, the whole property is 93 acres. Um, much of it is in the town. It's in the city and the town. Um, so the town is going through a parallel process with, they call PUDs PDZs in the town planned uh, development zones. Um, so we're going through this process simultaneously. And the planning board is doing the environmental impact statement for the whole thing. So, um, so uh, they, it's an industrial facility um, that, has um, that the developer is interested in cleaning up and transforming into mixed use, keeping some industrial, having some commercial, and having in total over the whole city and town about 900 um, apartments or uh, dwelling units. It's such an interesting project because I think I can see it from my office and I, you know, we would sit around um, and I always look up at that and think, wouldn't it be amazing if that could get developed? Mm-hmm. Never thinking that someone would actually, would actually do it because it's very complicated because it's very contaminated. Um, so that's, I mean, I feel that we're very lucky to have somebody. I mean, it's already there, right? It's yeah. already built, which makes it to begin with a great project because we don't have to build something new. There's almost a million square feet up there. Um, it's just the complication of... Um, it does have a lot of contamination, but the developer has been willing to go through the process of clean, you know, applying to the DEC for the permits they need to clean it up and bring it up to a residential standard so that they can develop it for um, um, mixed use. So it really has a potential of sh- reshaping, I think, student housing on South Hill, potentially. I mean, right. the developer isn't saying exactly what the mix and who they're who they're going to target but it definitely has that potential right. um which ha- would be good for those neighborhoods on south yeah. hill because right get the students out of those owner occupied neighborhoods that's right i think it has that potential yeah. um it's very close to downtown i mean it is up a vicious hill but it's like if you walked from the library you could get there in three or four minutes it's mm-hmm. very close to downtown um, yeah, I think people don't realize that because you can see it from the the flats, and so you figure it's is really far away. But actually, it's quite accessible. And it's so quite accessible. It's a great way yeah. to add housing that's accessible to very town. accessible. Um, and you know, their idea really is to make it almost like a neighborhood in itself to transform it to not like a regional destination, but like a destination that people you know have. Those buildings are so big. And they're so, uh, you could do so many things that just you wouldn't normally have the opportunity to do there, um, in addition to housing. Um, so they're really looking at making it kind of a destination. Um, right now we're still in that process, the environmental review process. We're getting sort of towards the end of that and we're working through the PUD with Common Council and we're still, we still have several months to go. So to really see what will be the right, um, Really, it's an issue of, I think right now we're at, you know, building heights. What are the right building heights along Aurora Street? That seems to be a really big um, issue. So we need to, um, they need to help us understand what they're proposing and how it might impact the neighborhood. Right. And there's always, again, even on council, there's a tension where I I am more accepting of greater heights than my colleagues like George and Cynthia might be. Uh, I don't mean to call them out, but this is very public information that they see. You watch any council meeting and it's pretty clear that, you know, there's different tolerances for that kind of thing. And my motivation is it's not like I love them for themselves, but the impact of having more housing available, mm-hmm. um, as we've discussed earlier tonight, affects the rental market. 
Uh, right. And makes things more affordable. And, you know, that's such an interesting site because um, a lot of times with development projects, you really look at the context. What's the context? How does it fit into the context? Well, that site is its own context. It's so big. And yes, it touches the city on the, the end and there's a neighborhood. But for the rest of it, a lot of it is undeveloped. So it could actually create a whole new right. context, you know, yeah. and that would be valid because it's it's just what we want and i have sense i mean i think you're right that there's a lot of you got to sort out the details and the height of the buildings and that but i have sensed from the neighbors up there there's there's a lot of excitement about the project it's not you don't really find that people are trying to block this or say like there really is from the neighbors there's a sense that this is a real opportunity it's an opportunity yes it could be Uh, i don't think they want to see it abandoned either i mean right right right. they they would rather see it cleaned up and reused yeah um which is in my experience kind of unique and big development projects in the city because there's usually people get pretty upset yeah um you know especially people in close proximity yes it's true we haven't seen people are concerned about the contamination and you know that's There's really most of what we've heard from the public during the um environmental impact statement when people came to speak a lot of it was traffic there's traffic there's traffic traffic and but um, not nobody's trying to like block the pro- it seems like there's a collective desire to see something see happen something there. happen yeah. the project is very exciting in many ways but one of the really really great benefits of the project that's could seem small but it's something we've been working on for a long time is um you know, the bridge to nowhere over, uh, you know, or it's could, called could it the bridge. I bridge never, I could become a bridge to somewhere. That was part of the gateway trail that was going to, um, connect South Hill to, um, the Black Diamond Trail and Buttermilk Falls and to, and Treeman and to Gannick. Um, and so there was one piece through Emerson. Um, well, Emerson has a big, from South Hill, Emerson has, you know, owns all that property. And so there was one piece in particular that, uh, was going to be very difficult to acquire with this project we get we will get the easement for that oh. and it will be you'll be able to walk from downtown three minutes and get on a bike or a okay. or um hike and you can go to all three of those parks and you know many other miles of trails without ever seeing That's anybody else it's a great it's, it's a coup it's a total yeah it's terrific it would be a great benefit to the people who live there and to the city in general Absolutely. and then we wouldn't have to hear um, jokes about the bridge to nowhere anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is the br- so that bridge? How, when did it go in? Does it have to be maintained? Is it still okay? It's <laughs> oh all God, good questions. The, I mean, um, yeah. All before my time, I can't remember exactly when. When there was funding, and so we built it, thinking that it, thinking that you know the rest of it will come. We'll you know, come that right. would be an expensive part, right? To build a bridge over and right. over a state. right yeah. so we had the money it happened and then the rest of the trail never happened and so recently they took the decking off of it um but that can be put back so the bridge is fine it the bridge just is needs, okay yeah. it just needs a trail to so it eventually it will hopefully become a bridge to somewhere it will become yes. a bridge to somewhere yeah i'm excited by that yeah so the comprehensive plan is this is something that is enshrined in state law actually it's a, a vision for the city. And so that got passed before my time, 2015, before I joined council. But that was phase one. So that's like a, a large vision for the city. But now we're going through this process where neighborhood by neighborhood, we're defining like what the zoning will be and what the specific plan will be. Mm-hmm. Waterfront is largely done. Uh, South side is in process. What is the, you know, this phase two process of comprehensive plan planning? Yeah. So, ev- so it's not just, it, it's, 
part of it's geographical and part of it's um, thematic. So we also did a um, parks master plan or right. the parks. Parks are so complicated. We have so many parks and so much acreage and um, the, there will need to be a phase two of the parks master plan. But so it can be thematic parks plan. We also are talking about a transportation plan, um, but also geographical like a neighborhood plan. So um, we've done, we're doing South Side, you know, other neighborhoods want, uh, plans because they feel like they have particular issues that are pressing like mm-hmm. South Hill. And so as, um, you know, we feel like we can do probably one a year. Um, and so bringing in, we actually have a new planner joining our team soon who is a neighborhood planner. So he'll oh, be nice. able to help. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. We're really excited about that. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll take down the neighborhood plans as, um, in the order that, uh, council sees fit based on what they're hearing from constituents and uh, we'll look at each and some neighborhoods aren't going to change much or have but they you know but the, doing the neighborhood plans um, is also um, an opportunity to bring the zoning up to 2018 1950 yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that'll be a good you know just to Definitely. bring yeah, yes so so we do the neighborhood plans um, and then we do the zoning that goes along with them I mean, there's cases where it seems like um, developments on the ground have kind of forced us to That's right. take action. That, and right. like, I mean, that happened on yep. South Hill with like the, the student rentals that were happening up there. That's right. And I've always found that that's always a tension with um, with like long term planning. You want it to be reaction, you reacting. Yeah, or- I mean, I remember with, you know, that's kind of was always an issue with the comprehensive plan, too, because it took a long time to do the comprehensive plan. It did. It involves like so much stakeholder input mm-hmm. and everything. And while you're preparing the plan, things change. Things change. Right. And there's things <laughs> happening. And it's like, how do you respond to that's those right. things knowing that this plan is on its way? And like, I've noticed that like, you know, with the backyard infill development issues that's right. arising now and, and issues with, uh, you know, there's been some issues with uh, concern at like Washington Park with the amount of like social services that are going along, right. going in along like West State Street. So there's like those kinds of, of issues, you know, you, you're like, well, there's a plan. It's on its way. Like we're right. working on it, but it's, you know, it <laughs> right. just, it takes time to develop this stuff and develop the zoning. And That's that. right. And, you know, I mean, I think that again, there's like this tension between reacting to the situation and planning long term. And we don't really have the luxury of just sitting back and doing all our long term planning. Part of it is reacting to the situation. That, right. Um, I think in the waterfront, we saw a little bit of both. Like we I knew that, that the that, waterfront was the next right. frontier. And so, yes, yeah. in, in some part, it was reactionary. At the same time, there were Nobody few, was complaining. Right. There that. was a yeah. few imminent issues. Yeah. And so that, that part of it was very forward thinking. And so I, I'm very proud of staff and the citizenry for participating and coming up with something that I think is going to yield phenomenal results. I, We're already seeing the fruits of it. I absolutely agree. I think that area is going to totally transform. And because it was planned, it's going to be in a way that we want. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's a really exciting like p- prospect with the, it's that. very exciting I mean, so yeah. f- remember first episode of the ithacast seth famously said we have the worst waterfront in upstate New we York. do though we, we do, do. <laughs> I, I mean, mean it really is travel if you- to any city in in the area in the region and we're very deficient and so i'm excited just because why should i have to go to canandaigua and watkins Glen right. to enjoy the waterfront we're still transitioning from an industrial waterfront 
waterfront to a different kind of waterfront. I mean, even and, so, I was yeah. lime biking the waterfront trail recently. <laughs> is that a, is that a verb? <laughs> it's a verb. <laughs> and even biking on the the which I think the waterfront trail is amazing, and that's part of the transition, right? You know, creating something yeah. like the waterfront trail. But that's as right. you're riding along the waterfront trail. Like you're passing by this like chain link fence and there's like this crushed rock on the other side with the DOT the DOT site, yeah. And there's like all these like really industrial uses. And then when you get over by, you know, like Enterprise in that area, there's all these like surface parking lots everywhere. Right. And like yeah. there's just you, you look storage. at it and you're like, Yeah, store it right, right. Like the propane tanks. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's just amazing to me that we we as a community haven't quite figured that out. We haven't like, what figured we want it our out. Waterfront right. to look like. Well we're we're doing that. We're doing yeah, yeah. That's and the I process. Think, yeah. And the exciting thing to me is that a lot of times, you know, so I've been here 13 years and, and I've been involved with initiatives to try to get something happening on the waterfront and nothing, you know, we did the Inland Island plan. We did all this stuff. Nothing really happened. It just didn't click. It didn't click. Yeah. And now we have the opportunity to have had the planning and the zoning and the market forces that are making right. it desirable to develop there. It's all coming together. And that's a great thing yeah. that we have it all at the same time. And some big yeah. changes like the DOT facility relocating. Huge. That's a huge yeah, deal. Huge deal. Um, we have lots of projects, lots of interest in the waterfront. That's really going to be an area that we really are going to see some posit- very positive change in housing options and also, I think, options for you know recreation and entertainment that are going to be really um, people are going to love them, I think. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things about the waterfront that we're looking at, too, is the waterfront, and I think this is one of the reasons why development hasn't really happened there, is it's really disconnected from the rest of the city by um, Route 13. And so we're really, you know, that was in the comprehensive plan. It's in the waterfront plan. We're really getting to a point where we need to seriously think of how to tame Route 13 Make it into a boulevard, connect it to the rest of the grid of the city. And that and like I see State Street, that corridor being the connection between downtown and the waterfront. Yes. Yeah. So calming thirteen is certainly part of that, but also redeveloping, you know, State Street. Yes. I actually I mean Seth mentioned that there's some tension with nearby residents about the services. I think they're very important to our community to keep those services in place and to continue adding them. And I don't think that they're necessarily incompatible with adding more retail and restaurants and housing. Uh, so I would love just a, a mix of all kinds of demographics That's along right. that corridor that connects yeah. to the waterfront. The more you have, the less of one thing you have. Yeah. You know, if you have a mix of everything, then, yeah. you know, then um, things get absorbed and they're less. If you just have one, you know, right now there is a portion of East State Street that has a lot of, West State Street that has a lot of services. But if you add more to that, then that yeah. becomes less of the de- defining character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, it does feel like that kind of is the next frontier for the city. In I terms think of I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Like the West End and the waterfront. I agree with that. Um, yeah. And a lot of thought has been put into That's it. That's right. And really careful thought has been put into it, which is good, I think, because um, that'll shape what happens there. Yeah, that will shape what happens there. And, you know, again, our challenge there is, um, as in many places in the city, the conditions, the subsurface conditions, uh, it's very difficult to construct, very uh, expensive to construct. You have to build a particular kind of foundation because the soils are very, very squishy. Um, so making, being able to incorporate affordable housing into, or, you know, making that area affordable will be a big challenge that we're going to work really hard to do. 
Yeah. Already seeing really creative uses like INHS partnering with Salvation Army yeah. to redevelop that site. That's yeah, right. that's a great project. Yes, that I is a great really project. Great for yeah. that block. Drinking Liquid State beer right now as that's we speak. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, we've all Shout enjoyed the Westie, <laughs> Saigon Kitchen, and the new ramen yeah. place. I mean, I think a lot of great stuff is, yeah. is happening on that. And you know, I want to say that, like, you know, the beginning of that was um, not that this isn't necessarily caused it but the beginning of that was redoing the streetscape on mm-hmm. state street and yeah. making it pleasant yeah, and then nice. all the investment came behind that so right. that's also for something for people to understand a little bit that sometimes you have to put the investment in up front there was an infrastructure improvement yeah. in it's like the it's like the commons you yeah. know like make it better and then and if people don't notice the the lighting along state street from the commons all the way to 13 is consistent there's stamp the stamp concrete that looks like brick the street itself is brick so yeah i agree yeah, i think yeah. that those That's visual amenities really, really help. help yeah they really help yeah yeah and it's it's turned into such a cool neighborhood down there it is i mean it has been for a year like when when felicia's was there and gimme coffee and yeah um, now Franco's is a great pizza place. Yeah. From, as someone from New Jersey, I have to say they're a pizza place that holds up the, the quality standards of the pizza belt. I still haven't been there. I should oh, go. it's amazing. Yeah, I need to go. It's so mm-hmm. good. It's so good. Yeah. 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 So shout out to our West okay, End yeah. businesses. <laughs> I know. It sounds like we're being paid, but no, I actually just yeah. happen to love all those businesses. Yeah. No, they're great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we need to deal with affordability and we also need to deal in the West End and the waterfront with transit. You know, even though yeah. the TCAP bus stop is there, we need to increase as the density increases. They will also increase sure. the amount of um, the routes through the that area. Evolved. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, yeah. well, any other final thoughts on planning and development in the city of Ithaca? <laughs> Highlights, frustrations, <laughs> anything, anything? Well, I just really think I've lived in a lot of places, and I really am amazed at how great Ithaca is and how many people are interested in being here and living here. And we're so lucky to have, I know it feels like change and it's uncomfortable for some people, but we're so lucky to be dealing with the changes that we're dealing with. I've spoken with elected officials from other cities in upstate New York and they envy us enormously. Yes. You know, the problems we have and let's let's be real, they are serious problems. Traffic is a problem. It's a real problem. So I don't want, I would never downplay those issues. However, we are very lucky. And well, I say lucky, but you know, we didn't even get to talk about how economic development is part of the planning department. That's right. I meant to mention that. I'm sorry. Actually, yeah. Why don't don't you say a bit about that right now? So, um, and part of our planning department is an economic development, um, aspect. And we have an economic development, um, a deputy director of economic development who is, is fairly new to the position. He came from Tompkins County as the director of tourism or a tourism planner. Um, and so he does, and the other staff do too, working on the economic development of the, um, the city. So Tom Knipe is deputy director of economic development. He does business recruitment and retention. So he, you know, helps businesses that want to stay, stay and like looks at businesses that might want to relocate into the area. It's looking at promoting the city, doing, um, to new businesses, works with the chamber of commerce, um, to, um, help promote the city and make it attractive for people to both, you know, cause we want businesses to locate here, but we also want the employees of those businesses to want to live here. So you have to market the city to a certain extent and make sure it has the amenities that people are looking for. So, um, yeah, it's working with people to find um, suitable space. And um, well, I, I think the changes downtown are remarkable. Yeah, um, I was emailing someone recently who was 
you know, again, expressing concern about the pace of, of growth in our city. Um, and I, I told a story about my brother who visited recently and hadn't been back in six years because we grew up here. We grew up in, in Trumansburg, so we know Ithaca. And he was like blown away because the last time that he saw the commons, there were the pavilions on it. There was, oh, the, it was know, before the it was renovation. Before everything. Yeah. All of it was before the Marriott. It was before, you know, yeah. and, and he was just like, what happened? Bend, <laughs> you know, yeah. It was you know, I took him to Press Bay Alley and like, Press Bay Alley is the, amazing the and they're doing the second part of that too yeah press yeah. bay court yeah press bay court and just walking down the commons and he was like this train this is crazy this is like real city stuff that's happening that's right. you know yeah. it feels much more urban yeah and i realized that there's people have um different levels of of comfort with that um i think there's a lot of people in the city who are you know probably arrived here a long time ago when when ithaca, ithaca has always been a kind of small town to them and the city, I think, is becoming more urban. It's becoming more urban. And we want to create opportunity and amenity for people who want to stay here, for instance, right. after college. Right. Exactly. You know, and that means that we have to have, we want to make it attractive for a variety of people. And that's, I've always been optimistic that the city can combine that small town charm and the, and the urban energy. Uh, but I think that's the trick, you know, because that's right. some people are much more comfortable with urban energy than others. And right. I think, um, you know, and some people are more comfortable with the small town experience. And it's the trick is like combining combining it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, as much as downtown has changed, the neighborhood that are I'm still looking the same, at, at right, my window right. is largely the same. The North yeah. Side Triangle has not changed in decades. Yeah. I mean, yes, paint colors change. And, yeah. Right. But for the most part, these houses have been here for a century, including my own. And so I think we are balancing it pretty well, like increasing the urbanness of of the core and and other corridors through you know the city while maintaining South Side, North Side, Fall Creek pretty yep. well. Yep. Yep. And that I've, that's the thing I've always valued about this place is that you can go from a fairly urban experience on the Commons or on Aurora Street, walk and be in a quiet residential, quiet residential neighborhood, neighborhood and then bike yeah. out the black diamond trail all of a sudden you're in like a rural area it's I mean, amazing it's like you, yeah. it's it's unusual actually to have i think it's that. very unusual to have this kind of these kinds of neighborhoods really pleasant you know unchanged neighborhoods yeah. in a in a city that has a dense core yeah, yeah. very close by yeah I, you know the fact that we can have access to farmland and an Ethiopian restaurant, which heretofore I've only seen yeah. in Philly and DC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are. It's a lot of variety. I keep saying the word yeah. lucky, but we are. I mean, yeah. we're lucky, but we're also let's not downplay the fact that a lot of this took a lot of work and planning. Yep. And and forethought. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank Thanks you for very having much. me. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. See you at the next planning board meeting. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>